Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now let's go. Hello, I'm Justin Peters. Welcome into The Sandbox, a podcast where we explore the building blocks for being successful after your 20s. My guest today is Jay Williams, the founder of Maskless Men, a community-based organization built for men to discuss the things we don't normally get to talk about, not even with our closest friends. This could include breakups, emotions, family and parenting issues, sex, porn, the feeling of being inadequate. Jay started Maskless Men after he saw the need for men to have a place to open up, share how they're feeling, and gain some reassurance that they aren't alone. In this conversation, Jay will talk about his 28 years of wearing what he metaphorically calls mask. Being the good child, the agreeable and pleasing boyfriend, the tough macho man at work, the loud, confident, funny friend, Jay decided he'd had enough. He became exhausted acting as a different personality depending on who he was with. He built the courage to take off the mask, go on a journey of self-discovery, and start showing up as his true authentic self. This episode is obviously geared towards men, but if you're a woman, stay tuned, as after listening to this, you'll be able to better understand some of the nuances in the life of men closest to you. For everyone listening to this episode, I hope you'll begin to reflect on how your upbringing may be affecting your relationship today, why showing up as your authentic self is more important than fitting in, and making a claim against the outdated, harmful societal norm that men can't express feelings. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with the favorite child, the good guy, the macho man, the now self-identified as just himself, Jay Williams. Jay, welcome into the sandbox. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm I'm good. I'm really good. I'm excited to be on your show and talk about this topic today. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, this is, I don't think, maybe a question I've danced around with some other, uh, or a, a theme that I've danced around with some other guests, but nothing that I've talked really specifically about. Uh, you're an interesting character, and I'm I'm excited. It was so fun doing some research on you and learning some things and um, watching some other videos. So I. I wanted to start in a certain place, but then I thought I'd stay true to um, a theme in your show and ask you the question, what is a defining moment that has shaped your life? (laughs) Talk about putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I assumed it might've been a question that you've thought a lot about since you've asked it a lot of times. So I thought it'd be a really great place to start. Yeah, sure. Um, It is a great question, and it's actually um, probably one of the most defining moments for me in my life was when I realized that I had massive commitment issues. (laughs) So to give you full context, um, about six and a half years ago, I was attending what's called a brand incubator workshop where you start to learn about yourself, you start to understand what you represent as a brand, what you stand for, because they share that everybody has a brand. And they took us through this exercise on day three, where you would map out your entire timeline of your life. So you take a piece of paper and you draw all of the events of your life. And there'd be some really high events, things that were great and you were ecstatic about, and some that were really low and then some were in the middle. And this included things like deaths, it included people, you know, nephews being born or things you were really proud of. And what they had was this hot seat and they put someone in the hot seat and they talk through their entire life of the ups and the downs Mm. so that they could start to understand how they came to be how they are today. And what we noticed was there were certain skills that we developed and we're looking at my time, I could see there were certain skills I developed and certain values that I held in my life. And one of the things they shared was that when it came to personal values and what you stand for, what you represent, Your life is a representation of that. How your life is today is a representation of what you value. And I I was looking at my life and going, okay, so why am I like this? Why, Why am I someone who loves honesty? Why am I someone who loves authenticity? And I hate lying. And the other big thing I noticed was like, why do I struggle to commit in relationships? Because for me, I was in a long-term relationship of about five years. And my partner used to say to me, 
are we ever going to move in together? And I'd be like, no chance. No, that's not happening. And then she'd say, are we ever getting married? I'm like, no way. I'm not getting married. I don't need to get married. Why do we need to get married anyway? What's the big deal? Like, it's old fashioned. We don't need to get married. That mm. relationship ended and I ended up in a, a, the next relationship and the same thing seemed to happen, right? When are we going to move in? We're not moving in. When are we going to get married? Now, what this timeline taught me was that when I was three years old, and I can't recall it all, uh, like the exact event, my parents got divorced. My parents split when I was three years old. And people used to ask me, did your parents divorce ever bother you? And I'd be like, no, not really. Didn't really know any better. I was three years old. But what I'd done is I'd suppressed 10 years of my life because this is what the brain does. It suppresses um, painful experiences. And what happened between the age of about three and about 13 was massive arguments like every single night. Um, my mum and my stepdad arguing because my mum had an affair. My dad turned up with a baseball bat trying to kill my stepdad. Um, me, like, consistently night on night sat on the stairs i just remember it really vaguely just crying my eyes out praying that the arguing and the fighting would stop praying to a god that i didn't even believe in i wasn't religious in any way uh, but i was just like i know i don't believe in you but please just make it stop please just make it stop and what i realized in that moment and it was this massive realization for me that wow the reason i have commitment issues is because I'm terrified. I'm terrified that what happened to my mum and dad is gonna happen to me. Mm. And so that was my real, that was the biggest insight that I had and really a, a trigger for me in moving into the space of personal development and starting to understand the way the mind works, human emotion, and why we really do what we do. So that, that, that's interesting. I, I want to get a little bit more perspective from that three to 13. Were you, did you go back and forth living with each parent or were you primarily with your, your mom or your dad? So I lived with my mom and my stepdad and I got to see my dad uh, one to two times a week. Um, sometimes it was more like one and a half days. So we'd see him for a couple of hours on a Tuesday evening and then we'd see him on a Saturday. So I didn't get much time with my dad. And in terms of both of those male figures in your life, your stepdad and your, your, your real dad, what were, did they carry similar personalities? Were they similar type people? Can you describe a little bit of each one? Sure. So they were definitely different characters. Um, so my, my stepdad was quite conservative, uh, quite traditional in a sense. So, you know, when I got into my teenage years, I wasn't bringing girlfriends back. That wasn't happening. <laughs> I wasn't allowed. Um, whereas my dad was a complete opposite. He was really open to it. And my dad was really competitive. Everything was about you need to win. Um, and if you don't win, then you're a loser or you're rubbish. And that's the way sometimes he would talk to me. Uh, and then my stepdad really wasn't sporting at all. So mm. in terms of masculine role models, each of them was very different. And each of them taught me certain things. Um, and if I'm being really honest, I, I, I love both of them, but I wouldn't say that they were particularly, um, let's say, positive role models in sense. And I don't want to discredit my dad or my stepdad um, because I think it's really important to acknowledge that they did some fantastic things for me and I, I love, the, love them to pieces. And um, like with any parent, they're only ever doing the best with what they've got, right? And that's all we can ever do. Mm. So did you, uh, did your, uh, clearly you, there, was some, there was some trauma with your parents' separation. Um, and with any affair, it seems obvious that that one side might have had a bigger part in, in what happened. Did you ever have that? Why did you do this conversation with your mom? Did you know, once you got into your teenage years and might have understood um, what happened? Did you did you have a direct conversation with her? 
Yeah, so um, to give you some context around my mum, my mum doesn't like to drag up the past. Mm. She is like, the past is the past. It's behind me. It's done. Why do we need to talk about it? We don't. However, my dad, I went and had a conversation with him around it because I wanted to understand what had actually happened. And um, my dad was somebody who worked his balls off. He was somebody who was a provider for the family and he had the family's best interest at heart. I honestly believe that. And he would be out working all day, but then while he's out working all day, my mum's at home looking after three kids, three boys, and um, she needs support, she needs help, and he feels like he's doing the right thing and Mm -hmm. she's not getting the love and the quality time that she maybe needed. And, um, you know, that results in her, resulted in her finding it elsewhere. In terms of just to touch on the idea of the trauma, because I think it's important we address this, uh, this to term trauma, because I think so many people maybe associate trauma with um, someone getting raped or someone getting uh, completely like abused or battered. Trauma shows up in many different forms. And it can be as simple as someone calling you names at school, or it can be as simple of a parent depriving you of what you needed at a particular moment. So for example, if you're a child, uh, uh, let's say a young boy, let's take this as an example. The young boy is kicking the wall and punching the wall and getting really angry. Mm-hmm. Now, is he really like, like parents will say don't be angry and they'll punish the anger but the problem is not the anger it's the fact that the boy wants attention and his parents were on their phones and they ignored him when he tried to uh, you know talk to them about something so from that if that happens repeatedly that can develop into a low level trauma and you can carry that into your life now for me in my trauma what actually happened was as children were egocentric so we make everything mean everything about us right so it's like me 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 and i know plenty of adults like this as well believe it or not sometimes that doesn't go away (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sometimes like that believe it or not and that's okay Mm -hmm. um and what happened was when my dad left when i was three on some unconscious level what I actually made it mean was that he's abandoning me, he's leaving me, he doesn't love me, which must mean that I'm not good enough. And so I carried that and live my entire life through that lens. So um, that's really what happened. And that led to lots of different things, which we may talk about in the show. We'll yeah, see. definitely. I, I want to put a pin in anger because I want to circle back around to this, but you opened us up to um, an, another great thread and that's that this expectations that were set for you is, and I think this is what led you to joining the military. Am I correct? Yeah. So with this belief that I developed that I'm not good enough, um, the, the second part to that is I'm not good enough for my dad. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this. Uh, a lot of our parents want us to do the best they can. And quite often it's their opinion on what we should really do. <laughs> right. And for me, my dad didn't particularly uh, encourage the military. Um, but when I suggested going in the, into the military, him and my mum were both quite encouraging of it. And so I could see it as an opportunity to make him proud. And I didn't see this consciously, by the way. I was just doing my thing. And at the time I thought, I'm just going into the military and it's exciting, it's a whirlwind adventure. But it wasn't until I I left the military, I realized that I basically spent 30 years of my life doing things to please my dad, doing things to try and get his attention, try and make him proud of me. And try and get him to actually say that I am actually proud of you and you are actually enough. And um, 
I, I think this might be a good place to introduce the concept of mask. So you, your brand is called Maskless, Maskless Men. Yeah. Can you um, explain to us the concept of mask and maybe some of the masks that you've worn over your lifetime? Yeah, 100%. So here's, here's, here's kind of like the, the, the backstory, right? So as, as children, as I mentioned, we're quite egocentric. And when we come out the womb, our parents are just obsessed with us. If you were to look back at the big headed person looking back at you, it's this goggly eyed parent who's high on this concoction of chemicals. If you speak to any mum and you were to say you've got an ugly child, there's no chance you're saying I've got an <laughs> ugly child. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And parents are like that, right? This, this amazing, beautiful thing that happens when we're born. And so they give us everything we need. So uh, we shit, we piss, we're sick on their favorite clothes that they just changed. And they still love us unconditionally. It's this amazing thing. But there reaches a point in our life where we respond in the way that we've always responded. And the parent doesn't give us the love that we wanted. Mm. And so now we find ourselves feeling confused. We're like, whoa, that didn't work. Why aren't they loving me? So as children, children, as I love them, they're the best salesmen in the world. You know, if one thing doesn't work, they try 20 other things. And so now as a child, you go, okay, that didn't work. Make a mental note of that. I need to do something else. So let's just say, for example, um, you want attention. And the way you got attention for is you get upset and you get angry. Now, if you're, parent doesn't love you at that point then you might make it mean anger is bad so Mm. instead of being angry you might say i need to be a good guy i need to be a nice guy i need to be kind i need to be soft i I don't don't show anger i just show what 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 i can do to actually get me the love i want and so how this transpires into your life is you edit the version of who you are in order to meet your environment. So we develop these masks for different scenarios. And for me, I had a mask and it's a a way of protecting us, right? Because uh, we don't wanna lose that love again because once we can get it and we've got an effective strategy for getting it, we don't wanna lose it again. So we we wear this mask to, show people this persona of who we think they want us to be in order for them to love us so that they don't really find out who we really are and then they don't love us and they reject us like our parents did when we were younger. Mm. So that's the idea of the mask. And for me, I wore many different masks. I, I When I was in the military, I was a little bit macho. Uh, when I was with my friends, I was the loudest person in the room. I was the party. I was the center of attention and I loved it. And then with my partner, I was the nice guy. She'd say jump and I'd say, how high? I'll do anything (laughs) for you. I'm so in love with you. I'm the perfect boyfriend. And to my family, I was the favorite son. I was, you know, I'm the middle of three and I've always been the favorite. And my family have always said, oh, James the favorite, James the favorite. And everybody knew it. And I was like, I'm the favorite. I can't do anything wrong. And and so I wore these masks in all of these different scenarios. And to be honest with you, it was exhausting. Mm. It was exhausting trying to keep up this act because inside of me, I knew. I knew I was a fake. I knew I was putting on this persona. But I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. It was just like hey, it's way too scary to show them who I really are and what I really think. So instead, I'm just going to put on this fake version of me and hope that they actually love me. So that's the idea behind the mask and the different masks that I wore. So I I would like to explore this concept of mask a little bit more because I think in some situations, wearing a mask, and and maybe mask is, is the wrong term, and maybe you can help with some verbiage here, but it could be useful. Like whenever I'm thinking about hanging out with the guys versus hanging out with my girlfriend, 
you, the guys, you're rough. There's certain things you, you can be loud. You're obnoxious. You like to just hang out with each other. And with my girlfriend, I'm a lot softer. I'm a lot playful. Like you, you handle those, those groups differently. Um, and sometimes there's incongruence in terms of being authentic to myself. And then other times that's just being with that person brings out that side of me. So whenever you're thinking through this process, how, how can you differentiate between the two? Like I'm not showing up authentically to who I am versus this is just who I am with this subset of people or person. Yeah, great question. I think the important thing here is to address what is being authentic. Hmm. Because like one of my old mentors used to say to me, uh, what is authenticity? Well, how do you brush your teeth in the morning? that's authenticity. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> that's it. And, and for me, really, it's about if you feel like you have to change who you are to fit in or to mm. mold yourself to that group, and it's not a full expression of who you are, then you're wearing this. Um, I have this concept called open versus closed strength in, in terms of masculinity. And this very close strength is when you're wearing the mask, you're hiding behind the mask. Whereas open strength is more that you can bring who you are and be true to who you are in each of those scenarios, whether that's, you know, messing around with the guys and being quite rough and that kind of thing, or being really soft and gentle and intimate with your partner and playful. Um, as long as you're bringing who you are to the party and you're bringing your truest expression of who you are rather than this closed version of you because you want to fit in and you want to impress and get approval. That's the real distinction between the two. And so what I'd say is that um, we all want to fit in. Like, you know, we all want to belong to a tribe. And there are certain things we have to concern ourselves with when we go into any scenario, any relationship, because a lot of the guys speak to me um, in my men's groups and they say, uh, and maybe we'll touch on that briefly, um, that they can't get this level of deep conversation anywhere else because they, as guys, they don't want to open up and, and, and talk about it. And the big thing that we have is relationships where you can talk about it and relationships where you can't talk about it because not every relationship is ready for that. You don't meet a perfect stranger and start telling you them your life story. Sure. So it's not that you're being fake when you're going into a conversation. It's just that the relationship isn't always ready for you. Hmm. And so that relationship can build over weeks, months, years, whatever. And sometimes it takes a big event for that relationship to be ready to go there, to actually go deep. But I think it's important to acknowledge that not every relationship, not every group of people is ready for you or that relationship isn't ready for you. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think that's uh, an interesting thought to explore a little bit more, but, but I've even had some relationships that should be there. Um, and maybe I shouldn't use the word should, but I've had best friends that um, I had a, a, a significant relationship and um, we broke up and I never can find it. Like I, I never got solace or went and, and talked to some of my best friends about what happened there. We brushed it on the rug. It's, Hey, let's, uh, let's get drunk tonight. Let's go out to the bars. Let's find someone new. What's what, and, and, and I can only speak from the male perspective. So I don't know if females have this, um, same struggle, but what holds back males in particular from getting a little bit deeper or diving a little bit deeper, uh, and talking about things like our feelings or, sadness? Is it, uh, is there something that you've seen working with so many men, um, that, that holds us back? Yes, sure. So one of the biggest things that I see, like the, the number one fear of pretty much all the men I've encountered is a fear of rejection. And it's why quite often a lot of guys struggle to talk to girls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, but fear of rejection from another man is also very painful, especially if they're your close friends. And so I think that part of the reason while we have fear of rejection, the other thing is our conditioning of that's just not what men do. And so many of us have grown up with the conditioning that men don't talk about their feelings. No, it's not what we do. I think we're coming a long way. And on your show, you know, the 20 somethings, we're kind of, we, I kind of feel we're turning a corner where the new version of strength in terms of masculinity is to be able to open up and sit and be with your feelings rather than actually suppress them and avoid them that's I, I believe that's a way outdated way of being and I think we are slowly starting to open up more and uh, speak about what's going on but I think we've still got a long long way to go in terms of that but I'd say the biggest things are one fear of rejection uh, from those that mean the most to you because quite often it's we don't necessarily get hurt by other people so much it's the people that are closest to us that can really cut deep and so if do you risk that that relationship or do you like it's a bit of an uncertain ground mm -hmm. for a lot of men yeah um and, and you're right with the conditioning piece to it it's like we like you as a little kid you're you're looking around at, at some of the parties or holiday parties and get togethers the the females might be at the kitchen table, having some chick chat or, or gossip. The guys are out by the grill and they're probably talking about sports. Like that's always, that's like what you learned or what you were conditioned and got exposed to. There's also like this condition in our world that um, men have this small barometer of emotion that, that, that they can, they can express. There's this, um, I don't know, this, this pride in holding this appearance of like hardness, like being so hard and strong. Um, and I think it might illustrate well, if you told the story about your dad um, and him at his, at your grandma's funeral, I think that was like the perfect example. Whenever you were talking about that, you're like, holy cow, actually, I've seen my dad at his father's funeral as well. And it was a very, very similar experience. Yeah, sure. So just to give context, my dad, uh, my dad's a very tough guy. He's a very macho man. Doesn't say I love you. Doesn't say I hug you. He does now, by the way, because I've had a, gone and had a conversation with him about it. But I know it's very difficult for him. What What did that conversation look like? Sorry to, to derail. This is, I think this might be an interesting topic though. Yeah, sure. So um, I've always realized that, like I, I used to meet up with my friends and some of them would hug each other, right? Some guys would hug each other and I wouldn't. I'd feel like really uncomfortable. It might be like this awkward tap on the back or something like that. <laughs> I do, mate. And um, I, I just realized that I had a massive problem with intimacy and I looked around me and even women, like even hugging women other mm. than, like it was a problem for me. And I looked at it, I was like, wow, like growing up, we didn't really have that kind of, you might say lovey-dovey, hugging kind of relationship that didn't really happen for us. And I just craved it. Like I, I, um, I was living in Australia, I was traveling the world for a couple of years and I spent some time in Australia and my dad came to visit and I hadn't seen him for about 18 months. And Honestly, um, I was sat at the airport waiting for him. I was quite nervous because I hadn't seen him for so long and excited at the same time. And he came, came out and I give him this hug and I was in tears and he was in tears. It was this beautiful thing. And I just realized, wow, like I want more of this in my life. I want to feel this closeness to my dad. And so one night we were sat out you know, having a glass of wine and I had a conversation and I said, you know what, like, I'd love to hug you more often. I'd love to, you know, I don't see you very often. I see him every once every three months. I said, I want that. I want that in my life. And he turned around and said to me, I want that too. And, <sighs> and it, it just like, it was like this massive weight has lifted off both of us. And 
it allowed us to then go deeper into conversations like how he never would say I love you or I'm proud of you and asking him those questions do you love me do you proud of me but the big thing for me was like my dad had a certain way of showing his love and it wasn't in the way that I necessarily wanted needed to receive it so there's a great book called the five love languages by Gary Chapman and my dad is uh, something called acts of service so he's a doer Mm -hmm. he does things and that's the way he expresses his love Whereas I'm someone who is uh, words of affirmation. Somebody says something nice to me and it makes me feel loved inside. And I won't go into all of that, but it's a great book for anyone who's listening and want to learn about your love language because we all have one. Yeah, it's, we've, we've we talked about it multiple times on the show. Um, mm. I think it's a really good just foundational book for anyone I I think most people have heard of the concept now, but I think it's worth the read. And it's not a very long read. And we have very, very similar dads. I'm actually striking a great chord with you right now because I'm in a similar space realizing that I would like more of it. I haven't had the conversation with my dad that you had with your dad as well, but he's very much an acts of service. He's one of those guys that will... Um, you, you sit, you're, you know, the day before talking about something that's wrong and he'll go and he'll fix it that night and he'll say nothing of it. Like, it's just, that's how it is. Or he knows you're going to be, uh, you're in a rush in the morning. You woke up late, you jumped in the shower and then you walk downstairs and there's already a lunch packed just sitting there for you. Like, that's Mm. how my, that's my, that's my dad, but he would never, he never, talked about it. We're not an, I love you family either. We're definitely not a, a, a kiss on the cheek family. I I've hugged my dad. Maybe the fact that I can probably count on, on both hands, the amount of times that I've hugged my dad. And that's like going away to college or very significant monumental moments. I've never had that. Uh, like I, now that I'm living away from my parents, I've lived away from both my parents for, you know, three, four years now. And I, when I go home, it's still that awkward, like, Hey dad. Hey mom, what's up? Like, (laughs) uh, yeah. (laughs) yeah, So I, I, I don't know. I find that interesting that you were in, um, a very similar experience and it's reassuring that you had to have the courage to just ask your dad. And he responded in such a beautiful way. Like, Mm -hmm. were, were you nervous about that? Like, did that just slip out? Is that, was that something that you've been thinking about asking for a long time? Like what, uh, what was the moments or uh, what, what like led up to that, that conversation? Yeah, I had been thinking about it because it's something that I wanted more of in my life. And um, I'm someone who craves that connection. Uh, and for so long, I'd settled for just this kind of, this is the way it is. And I just refused to settle for that in my life anymore. And I just wanted I wanted everything. I wanted to experience everything in life. And part of that involved having a close relationship with my dad, which I'd always, like I said, I'd always been the favorite. And and while I was the favorite and I did lots with my dad, I can't say I really knew my dad or was close to my dad Hmm. or or even my mum, like for that matter, because they don't, they didn't talk to me about it. I had these uh, sad realizations. I can't remember. I was at a funeral or something. And you know, people talk at funerals, don't they? About how amazing they were. And they share all these childhood experiences of how they were growing up. And I was sat there. And I, I think I turned around to my brother after, after the funeral. And I said, you know what? If that was mum and dad's funeral, I couldn't tell you anything about their life. And it made me really sad. And... I was like, wow, is this where it's come to? And so that's what really triggered me to want to really connect and have that relationship. Because my dad's 63. I don't know how many years he's got left on this planet. And I want to make the most of that. I really do. Because, you know, I speak to so many people and they say when when they're gone, you'll regret it if you haven't made the most of that time. And so for me, I really want to... um, put anything that's ever happened aside and just really have a beautiful relationship with him. And I think ultimately in all of this, whether it comes to 
having the conversation with my dad about hugging or you know, saying I love you or having being around your friends and talking about what's real I think what this really comes down to is a one having the courage to go there mm. and two being the being the first being a leader and and just stepping into it because I guarantee if it's true for you it'll also be true for them and if you're willing to take the first step and this is what I found consistently with my men's groups with the men I meet over and over in my met like in my Facebook group when I'm willing to go there it gives them permission to go there but unless you're willing to show up in that way then they won't and you'll just keep going around in circles yeah that's fair I want to circle back around to um the story about your dad where I cut you off sorry about that no it's all right yeah, so um, so like I say, my dad's quite a macho man and everything was about winning growing up. And he didn't show his emotion, like not like sadness. He was just a hard guy. Mm. And I remember, um, unfortunately, just over a year ago, uh, just under a year ago, my grandmother passed away. And we were we were stood in the kitchen and my dad's all dressed up and I said, oh, are you okay? And he just turned around to me and just said, oh, I don't want to make a fool of myself. And I was like, what? Fool yourself? How are you going to do that? He says, oh, I don't want to cry. And I couldn't believe it. I was so taken back from it. And I said, dad, look, it's your mom's funeral. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to laugh at you or anything like that for crying at your mum's funeral and um i said to him look at it this way i said there's a reason why we cry and it's because our body is trying to help us it's trying to release some trapped emotion or heal ourselves and it's our body's natural way of actually doing that and this has been something that's pretty consistent in my dad's life and he's learning to open up more but he doesn't find it easy yeah. it's not easy for him to open up like and i say this to anybody who's ever tried to change their identity change their life maybe pivot in some way you've spent the best part of 10 20 30 40 50 60 years in my dad's case just program yourself, condition yourself to behave that way. So to try and make that change overnight takes a lot of work and it's, it's not easy. And I'm, I'm assuming you had to do a lot of that reprogramming as well. Um, getting a lot of these learned behaviors from, from both your parents. What, um, you know, what have been some steps that you've taken to develop a little bit more emotional intelligence? Yeah. So I'm seven years in and still doing it every day <laughs> just to set that expectation there <laughs> um so some of the steps for me um one of the biggest steps i took was um enrolling in something called the landmark forum are, are you familiar with the landmark no i'm not forum? familiar please tell me so the landmark forum is like this mad event where basically about 150 200 people it might be a little bit bigger in the u.s 200 people get crammed into a room and this guy walks through at the start and you think you're there for some course or some training or some seminar. Uh, and he comes out to the front and he starts to tell you that basically the way you see the world is an illusion. And he starts to give you clear distinctions on how life is versus how we actually see it and the biggest distinction i'll give you quickly is that as human beings we give everything meaning and we give it meaning through our language we say this is a laptop this is a microphone this is a podcast we apply meaning to everything 
And have you ever received a text message or a message of some kind? The kids even do text messages these days. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm 34 and I'm outdated. <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> Snapchat, whatever. But you see something that someone sends to you and you interpret it in some way. And you look at it and you go, what the hell? Is he being a dick? Or why are they, be why are they being like that? But then when you speak to them, they meant something completely different, right? And I'm sure we can all relate to that. We've all done that in some mm -hmm. capacity. And so we make up these stories, these stories about what everything means in our life. Uh, that person left me, which that girl hurt me, which must mean all women are like horrible. Or that girl cheated on me, which must mean all girls, let's say she had red hair, all girls are cheats. So we apply meaning to it, right? It's, we're crazy. We're crazy human beings, but this is where the mind works. And that's okay, we're all the same, we're all in the same boat. And what they help you to establish is the difference between the story that you've been telling yourself for your entire life, which is running your life and stopping you maybe from having the level of connection, fulfilling your potential, having a successful business or career or whatever it is you seek, versus what is actually a fact. So I'll give you a real great example. My parents got divorced when I was three, or split when I was three. When my dad left, what I made it mean is that my dad's abandoned me, my dad is leaving me, my dad doesn't love me, and that's why he's leaving, and that must mean I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy of love, right? That's the story that I spent my life telling myself, and then I spent my life trying to prove to him that I was worthy of love. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, at three years old, my mum and dad were having some problems in their relationship. My mum wasn't getting her needs met, so she went and found and got them somewhere else by having an affair. My dad, mum and dad had a divorce. My dad left the house because my mum was moving in with this other guy. And that's what happened. <laughs> not at any point did they say we don't love you we're not proud of you you're not good enough any of that that's all made up it's all a story that i made up so the landmark forum helps you to make these clear distinctions between what's the bullshit story you're telling yourself versus what is actually reality and this goes on for three days and there's people getting up and they're saying my partner doesn't wash the dishes which must mean he doesn't love me and they're like holy shit that's it there's a story he just and, doesn't like to do the dishes <laughs> <laughs> and this goes on and on and on like these people are standing up in front of stage sharing all of their stuff and and at the end of it um and don't want to ruin it for your audience but you get this day three, you get this incredible realization. And it's like, for me, what happened, I was sat in the chair and my entire life flashed before me like a film reel. It was like happening in front of me. And all I did was cried. I was just mm. crying relentlessly in this room. And it felt like about three hours. I wasn't timing it, but it felt like that. And it was this realization that my entire life had been run by this bullshit story I told myself. Mm. And once I let go of it, it freed me. Mm. It freed me to be more of who I am. And that's, that, that's, that was the landmark forum. So if anybody's like, what are some steps I can take? Landmark forum is a huge one. But I'd say that one of the most biggest and profound things for me, which I do religiously every day, is journaling and meditation. Mm. They're really simple if you don't want to go too deep, too quickly. Yeah, well, I, I'm curious on the journaling piece to it. What What does your journaling practice look like? Do you have prompts? Do you do you analog? Do you write up a notebook or is it a Google Doc? What What does it look like for you for journaling? Yeah, so first of all, I, I have a separate notebook. Um, I spend so much time on computers and I think we all spend time on computers, devices, that we need to get away from the distraction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my journal starts every day with the question, today I feel. Today I feel. Now, I have a certain process for this and it's simply 
instead of accepting the first answer, which the ego creates, which the mind creates, I want to check in with my body. Because one thing I find with men in particular is we're so much in our heads. And Tony Robbins always says, when you're in your head, you're dead. (laughs) And what happens is the response is generated from my ego. And so what I do is, um, it's called something called felt sense. I close my eyes, I feel myself sat on the chair, feel my feet on the ground, and I feel my breathing, a couple of breaths, and I just ask myself, how do I feel? And I just listen to my body. And I might notice, oh, I've got a bit of a pain in my, in my shoulder, some tension there, or I feel a bit anxious, a bit of a twist in my stomach, like not in my stomach, or chest feels a bit tight or something else. But I don't try and force the answer. And that's how my morning starts. And this is something that I share with all my clients is like, we need to reconnect to the body. Because we're, when we're so much in our head and we're overthinking, and so many guys are, like, that's not who we are. That's not what we feel. It's just noise. So can you give thoughts. an example? Like what, what, what did this morning's journal look like for you? So this morning's journal, I was actually recovering from a, a bit of a shitty few days, if mm-hmm. I'm being really honest. I've, um, I've really struggled the last few days. Um, COVID um, has been driving me nuts. And this morning, I just felt down. I just felt down. And I think it, I think this is a great point to touch on. Because my old tendency used to be to want to fix that. That I can't feel down, that it's wrong, or there's something wrong with me that I'm feeling down. Over time, though, I've learned to be compassionate towards myself and just use it to actually learn about myself. Because if I'm feeling down, there's some message there. It's like, and, and, and what I do is I just ask questions like, okay, you're feeling down. Thanks for letting me know, <laughs> you know, be kind with it. Have a little bit of fun with it. Okay. What, what is my body trying to tell me about my lifestyle right now? How, like what's going on in my mind, etc. cetera. Um, what's it trying to communicate with me? Cause that's what it's really trying to do. A bit like my dad's crying. Your body's trying to do something for you, trying to communicate with you. So listen to it and just be curious. And so that's how I felt this morning in particular. Um, If you want me to bring it back to the journaling piece, I can. Um, What I then do is I elaborate on that. So why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And just explore that a little bit. And then what I do is I reflect on yesterday, what happened yesterday, um, and just really vomit out more than anything. But the last thing I tend to finish with always is gratitude. I know people say gratitude all the time. You've got to do gratitude. It's important. Gratitude, gratitude boosts happiness by 25%. But in my experience, and me personally, and some of the guys I talk to, experiencing gratitude is not that easy. It's something that you have to work at and condition yourself to do. And quite often people teach you, be grateful you've got a house. Be grateful you've got a car. Like, but a lot of that's bullshit. Like, and so I've learned to be grateful for the smaller things. My nephews, like if I see my nephew yesterday, he had this, uh, like he's seen me and he come running out to me. He's got this beautiful smile, his face, the innocence of a boy, like, and he jumps in my arms and he hugs me and I feel so love and connect. It's, it's an amazing thing. And those are the things to be grateful for. Uh, not bloody houses yeah you can be grateful for money and what it can give you and what it's allowed you to those are all really important to attract more of it sure but like in terms of the prompts let me just give you the prompts i think that's important um i'm grateful for x um the reason i'm grateful for blank this makes me feel Mm. and it's important that we connect 
with the emotion side of it because that's what's really going to do it for us. Anybody can say, I'm grateful for my house, I'm grateful for my car, I'm grateful for my desk, microphone, whiteboard, whatever, but it's empty. So it's really important that we connect to the feeling. And this is where the first prompt, which is today, I feel really starts to help you to connect to your heart, to your body, rather than some egotistic response that might come out. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, Jay. Um, as we're closing this conversation, I want to turn to um, a couple more wisdom questions. This this conversation has, I just threw the notes away. Uh, it's taken a couple left turns here, which I mm -hmm. totally appreciate. Um, but what I'm hoping that most people get out of this conversation is it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to feel. It's okay to express more than, than two or three emotions, especially if you're a male. Um, so, so, and, and I think we got that out and, and some of the stories that you've told, I, I would like to ask a question about pride and, and, and being a male right now, you know, with this rise of the strong females and um, males recently, I don't know about if it's the same in the UK, but in the US, males have gotten a lot of bad, bad press, especially white males. I mean, between gaslighting and catcalling and the Me Too movement, there's mm. been the spotlight on being a male right now. Um, and I, like I said, it's, it's not um, a time to be super prideful. Like it's almost a little embarrassing to be a guy right now. Um, so how can we both support the women, the important women in our lives and, and women as a whole, but also be prideful and being a male right now? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. How can we support the women, but also be proud to be male? For me, this is really about doing the work. I think what, what we see as an expression of masculinity or part of the expression of masculinity, it's not everybody, I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush, mm -hmm. is boys in men's bodies. And I think that when we understand, um, so Carl Jung, uh, famous psychiatrist, he's like one of the godfathers of modern psychology. He talks about this concept of the shadow. And the shadow, you'll be able to see it on the Massless Men logo, it's the dark and light. So what we quite often present, and this ties into the childhood piece earlier, we present the side that we think people want to see. Hmm. The good parts, right? You want to be a good people. And society encourages that as well. But what happens is there's parts of us which are somewhere in the dark, somewhere in the shadows, which are always there. And they are very much a part of us. But what tends to happen is the more we try and suppress them, the more they project out into our lives. And what we see today, and that's why I say boys in men's body, is actually it's not the man showing up. It's the boy who's still feeling vulnerable that didn't get the attention, who maybe had a traumatic experience that's acting out his trauma or the, um, the coping mechanism for his trauma in his life in seeking power, seeking uh, certain experiences, behavior, being abusive, that kind of thing. And here's what I always recognize when I'm working with people. We are not our behaviors mm. we are not our behaviors our behaviors are just a way of expressing what we're actually needing or feeling and so when we see the men of today like i won't highlight anyone in particular but they're just trying to get their needs met and they're doing it in whatever way they can. And people label it as toxic, um, you know, toxic and they shame them and they're wrong and this kind of thing. But what about understanding what's really going on with those people? Because we can't excuse their behavior. I'm not condoning certain behaviors as being wrong here, right or wrong here. I'm just saying, should we be shaming people or should we be seeking to understand the root cause of this stuff? Mm. And so the only way I see it as a man, yeah, I can't 
make these people do the work. I can't make them do the work. But what I can be is a role model and an inspiration to other men by becoming a leader and doing the work on myself and ensuring that me as a man, as a grounded, centered male, can show up in a way that is um, authentic, that is real, that treats others with respect, that comes from a place of being genuine in, in what I'm what I'm doing with my life and the way I'm treating people. And I think that's what it really comes down to. It's really about, we can't do anything about other people, but we can do something about our own life. And it really starts there for me. Because if we think about boys today, if we think about girls, who do they have as role models? I talked earlier that, you know, my parents, Yes, they were role models in their own way, but I wouldn't always say that they were particularly positive role models. So if not from our parents, who do we have to actually turn to? And I'd say you as a man, me as a man, the boys and men who are listening to this, it's up to you to be the leader of your own life and be the leader for those you care about and who you actually serve around you. And that's what I believe it really comes down to. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Jay. Where can people connect with you? Can you tell tell us a little bit about uh, your men's groups and the offerings there? And if people want to stay connected with you and, and consume some more content from Jay Williams, where where can they go? Yeah, sure. So if the biggest place um, that I'd like to encourage you to join is the Massless Men community on Facebook. So we have a community of men of all different ages where we come and we tackle taboo topics. You'll hear all kinds of things being talked about in there from sex to porn, to relationships, to communication, to life, to business, to death, to all kinds of stuff. So that's the first place I'd encourage people to come and um, join. I also have the Massless Men podcast. I've got some great guests on there as well. So come in, uh, um, check that out. And then I also have my men's groups taster sessions, which I run every couple of weeks. So you can get a taster of what it's like to be in a room of other men that lift you up, that support you, that are willing to go deep and help encourage you to actually um, go after your dreams. Because I believe that there's so many men today that want to cut you down uh, and, you know, because they're in pursuit of their own goals, but they don't want you to get ahead. Um, <laughs> And I want to encourage your uh, listeners to come and get a taste. Of that. It's free to attend the first session, and, and we do do closed groups as well. Uh, but come and get a taste of it because so many guys love it. And if you can't get it in your friend circles, maybe you show up to one of these events and it gives you the courage to actually bring that to your own life and to your own friend circles so that you can have that in your life as well. Mm. Yeah. And where can they, if they're interested in, in signing up for the next taster, where can they find that? Yeah. Just head over to masslessmen.com. Uh, I think it's forward slash men's groups, but just head over to masslessmen.com and you'll see it there. Uh, cool. You'll be able to sign up for that. We've got one going tomorrow, but I'm guessing this won't be going out <laughs> tomorrow. <so. laughs> it could be tomorrow, depending on when this comes out. But <laughs> uh, Jay, my final question for you, um, we all have, um, regrets in life, particularly things we, we probably wish we would have started sooner um, rather than later. What's a habit or practice you wish that, that you've started now that you wish you would have started at 20? And another way to think about it is if you were to, um, you know, give your nephew one of, you know, hey, here's my secret sauce, get this going at 20 or before that, what would you tell him to do? Good question. Celebrate yourself. Hmm. Can you elaborate think, on that? I think, you know, I've spent a lot of my life and it's not until recent years that I've really acknowledged this, that I've achieved some uh, incredible things that I'm incredibly proud of. But in the pursuit of them, I never really took the time to acknowledge myself and acknowledge what I was doing. And celebrate the small wins and I often hear people say 
it's not about the end destination it's about the journey and i never really understood that i was like what the fuck it's about the goal gotta get the goal gotta win <laughs> and I, what i found was that i'd arrive at these goals and they feel a little bit empty and i really got that it's about the journey and what they mean by the journey is actually just acknowledging the small wins the celebrations of what you achieve and one thing I encourage my clients to do every single day now is write down every day before you go to bed, when you finish work, whatever, write down three things that you're proud of you achieved mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be small things, could be getting your ass out of bed. <laughs> could be proud of, <laughs> about that. Could be being kind to someone, could be something you did at work or in your business. And um, yeah, and that's what I'd say. Celebrate yourself because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not, we're not here for very long. And um, it's important we make the most of it. Mm. I think that is a great piece of advice, Jay. Thanks for showing up today. Uh, Really bringing your true authentic self. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, hopefully we'll see more of you. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Justin. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If this episode brought value to you, share it with a friend and show love on social. You can tag me at Justin Lee Peters. The link to the show notes is in the episode description and we'll include all the resources we talked about today. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time in the sandbox.